Very good, thank you. Um, <laughs> welcome back, students. Uh, good to see you again. Uh, <laughs> brilliant. So uh, we're. Uh, I'm just going to recap. We just started a series last week. So if you weren't, who wasn't here last week? Wave a hand. Quite a few of you weren't here last week. So just five, you know, a couple of minutes recap. We're just starting a series called Five Big Issues, Five Big Ideas. This comes out of the letter, Paul's letter, letter to the Corinthians, first letter to the Corinthians. Um, so you might want to start turning to 1 Corinthians as we, as we talk. Dan introduced it last week. If you, didn't, uh, if you weren't here last week, do catch up online. Uh, it's good stuff. Um, uh, Isaac, can I be in the box to click? Wonderful. This is Corinth. And the first thing that Dan introduced to us last week was Corinth, uh, an ancient city in Greece. It's a busy trading port, a melting pot of different cultures. Corinth was between two ports, one sort of facing Rome, one facing further east. It was a complete melting pot of different cultures, people coming and going, different religions, um, and quite, just quite a lot going on. And one of the commentators says of Corinth, the Corinthians were inclined to throw their lot in with the values and culture of their secular society. There's a cultural pressure on the church in Corinth from this complete crazy melting pot that they live in. And I think already you can perhaps just hear a little glimmer there. Dan, Dan drew this out better last week. A glimmer of the resonance with the city of Oxford. I like, um, like infographics. Most of you know when I preach, we have a little infographic. So this is today's infographic. Um, this is our city in 2001. Um, 109,000 people were born in the UK and 25,000 were not born in the UK. It's one measure of ethnicity that the city council used. Um, t- ten years later, in 2011, pretty much the same number of people born in the UK. The people, number of people not born in the UK had not quite doubled, but not far off. That's quite surprising. Would you a census next year? I wonder. I wonder. I wonder. God's doing something in our city, and he's making us more multicultural and more more perhaps like the church in Corinth with all, all the challenges it faced. Another little stat, um, one in, this is 2018 from the City Council, one in three people are not of white British origin. Again, it's another different measure of ethnicity. That is the third highest in the southeast. That, when I read that third highest in the southeast, it surprised me. You don't necessarily think of Oxford as a terribly multicultural city, but it is. It's increasingly becoming such. And another little stat, one in four of the population of Oxford change every year. There's a high turnover. I think we're not that different from Corinth in that regard. I think in terms of the different blend of people groups coming in and out of the city and the different uh, cultures and beliefs they bring, we're not that different in Corinth. And so so today's topic, as we dig into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 in particular, it looks at the theme of unity in, in Corinth. And I think that's a really relevant topic for our city here in Oxford and our church here in Oxford. So I'm just going to stop and pray because I, I don't just want to talk to you. I want the Holy Spirit this morning to do some work in our hearts as a community that uh, we will be, as Bev's painting shows us, we will be put together as coals and as coals we will become hotter and more sort of vibrant for the Lord Jesus because we're together. There's something about togetherness that really matters and I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit does his work this morning. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to change our hearts this morning as we look at your word together. We invite you to build us together as a unified community. We want to be a unified community that is a witness in this city that we live in, a city that is more 
diverse and potentially more divided. We want to be a community that is more diverse but yet more unified. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do your work this morning. Amen. So that's one thing Dan said last week, not that, but the um, other thing. So uh, the second thing we looked at last week was we just started to look at this idea of um, the, the overall flow of the letter to the Corinthians. We, uh, there's a blog on the website if you want to go look at that later. We're, di- we're using this resource to help us guide us through the series. This is produced by a group called The Bible Project. You can get that off that blog, so don't worry about that. And I'm, The Bible Project just provide great resources to help us work out how these letters flow and what's, what's going on. And The Bible Project... Uh, you wouldn't be able to read that previous slide. So this, this is just the, some of the main headings. The Bible Project lists five big issues in the church in Corinth and five big gospel ideas that Paul brings forward. And he talks about division in the church in chapters 1 to 4. That's what we're into today in a moment. He talks about sex and morality and all kinds of stuff. We're getting into that next week. Uh, then he uh, looks at the questions of food, which is really a cultural question. It's a question of cultural issues in the church. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. They look, there's a whole chunk in the middle of Corinth in the letter looking at gatherings, church gatherings. How are we supposed to do church in this culturally blended city? And lastly, he looks at the resurrection. And we started to see, Dan showed us last week, that Paul answers practical, these practical, these are really practical questions, practical questions of unity for the church. And, but Paul starts by answering them theologically theologically. And I loved a phrase Dan used last week. He he talked about God giving us a value transplant, value system transplant. God changes our values. God is, and as we we work through this letter over the coming weeks, we'll we'll dig into these big ideas that Paul introduces uh, to help us get to grips. Here's some of the headlines. Division, we're actually all supposed to be one in Christ Jesus. That's the big gospel idea. The gospel brings us together. Um, The questions of morality are answered by Jesus dying for our sin. Questions of food and culture are answered because we're supposed to be one family. We love God's family together. And gatherings, the the questions of unity in gatherings are really answered by the same question. And then the resurrection shows us that actually, and Dan drew this out last week as well, we're we're, we're between the cross and the resurrection, the final resurrection. And that is a a big idea. And we'll look in a few weeks' time at how the resurrection... uh, impacts us today. So that's where we're going. Um, if you want to know more on that, look at the blog, listen to Dan from last week. So into t- this week's topic, 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. And as we look into this, we're going to read, actually that's, I know that's not chapter 3 we're starting at, we're just going to go back a little bit, because Paul has quite a long interwoven argument, we're just going to go back a little bit and read a little bit more, just to get us going. So we're going to start in three chunks, we're going to look at unity, which starts with God's wisdom, then we're going to look at working together in unity. And then we're going to look at unity and leadership and how that plays together. And we're going to read each chunk. We're going to read the, the whole of it. Um, and then we're going to ask ourselves what it meant to the original readers, listeners. And then we're going to ask ourselves what it means for us today. We're going to ask, us, ask ourselves some questions. So firstly, unity starts with God's wisdom. This is a picture of someone having a transplant. This reminded me of that, the thing Dan said last week Value system transplant. That's what God wants to do. So if you come with me, please, to chapter 2, verse 6. We're just going to recap a little bit of some of the stuff Dan looked at last week uh, just to get us into the flow. So chapter 2, verse 6. 
I'm reading from the CEV today. We do use wisdom when speaking to people who are mature in their faith, but it isn't the wisdom of this world or its rulers who will soon disappear. We speak of God's hidden and mysterious wisdom that God decided to use for our glory long before the world began. The rulers of this world didn't know anything about this wisdom. If they had known about it, they would not have nailed the glorious Lord to a cross. But it is just as the scriptures say, what God has planned for people who love him is more than eyes have seen or ears have heard. It has never even entered our minds. God's spirit has shown you everything. His spirit finds out everything, even what is deep in the mind of God. You are the only one who knows what is in your own mind. And God's spirit is the only one who knows what is in God's mind. But God has given us his spirit. That's why we don't think the same way that the people of this world think. Let me read that again. That's why we don't think the same way that the people of this world think. That's also why we could recognize the blessings that God has given us. Every word we speak was taught to us by God's spirit, and not by human wisdom. And this same spirit helps, helps teach spiritual things to spiritual people. That's why only someone who has God's spirit can understand spiritual blessings. Anyone who doesn't have God's spirit thinks these blessings are foolish. People who are guided by the spirit can make all kinds of judgments, but they cannot be judged by others. The scriptures ask, has anyone ever known the thoughts of the Lord or given him advice? But we understand what Christ is thinking. We understand what Christ is thinking. My friends, you are acting like the people of this world. That's why I could not speak to you as spiritual people. You are like babies as far as your faith in Christ is concerned. So I had to treat you like babies and feed you with milk. You could not take solid food, and you still cannot, because you are not yet spiritual. You are jealous and argue with each other. This proves that you are not spiritual and that you are acting like the people of this world. Just gone back a little bit because the stuff about wisdom that Dan was talking about last week feeds right into this question of unity. I think, Trash, you can see that from that, that little uh, segment we just, just read. In chapters 1 to 4 of this letter, Paul uses the word wisdom 26 times. That is more than half the uses in the New Testament letters. Paul's making a point here by using the word wisdom so much. So what is going on? Paul, Paul doesn't ordinarily think of the gospel in terms of us being wise. I think Paul's actually making a point that the Corinthians had a, made a big deal about wisdom. And Paul's speaking about them in a slightly sarcastic, pejorative way. He's saying, come on, you and your wisdom. You and your wisdom. There's a spiritual wisdom, which is quite counterintuitive. And Dan said last week um, about this value system transplant. I'm going to put the phrase up. You, I like that phrase, Dan. We've quoted it three times now. You, you've probably read it somewhere, yeah. Um, Dan also talked about the cross being an oxymoron. An oxymoron is a foolish contradiction. And in, uh, going back to chapter 1, a little bit further back, chapter 1, 23 says, we, uh, it, talks about, it talks about the Jews seeing uh, Jesus uh, as a foolish thing. It's like the, Jesus, a crucified Messiah... That's absolute nonsense to a Jew. The Messiah doesn't come to get crucified. The Messiah comes triumphantly to rule and reign and break in and get rid of those nasty Romans. But so a Messiah that died? What a nonsense. What a nonsense. And to Greeks, the, 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 the sound of who love their sophisticated words, sophisticated thinking, what a nonsense, the cross. 
And there's a, there's a challenge here to our human wisdom. That's the, this is the, the piece we've just read in chapter 2. There's a challenge to human wisdom. And what I want to say to us, and this is really just an introduction, our main chunk is chapter 3, but uh, act, let's, let's be a church. Let's be a church that actively seek God's wisdom. Let's not passively soak up human wisdom. We're, we're, we're swimming in the sea of our culture and it's all too easy for us to pick up human wisdom. This passage tells us that both Jewish human wisdom and Greek human wisdom are wrong. So is British human wisdom, or wherever you're from. That human wisdom is wrong. There's a challenge here to find God's spiritual wisdom. God's wisdom is countercultural. I was trying to think of a few examples. So forgive your enemy. Right? Jesus said that somewhere. Seems a bit weird, doesn't it? Forgive your enemy? Really? Why? The first shall be last. And, and actually, to, to today's point, God brings people from different tribes into one family. That, that is a crazy wisdom. You might have others in mind. And as we think about wisdom, how, so how do we dig in? How do we, how do we get this value system transplant? How do we face ourselves up with God's wisdom, the the, what seems foolish to our culture. I want to suggest two, two things we can do. I'm, and these are questions we're going to look at. These are first of a few questions as we go through. The first thing about how we get a value system transplant is simply read the Bible. And Steve often makes the point, read the bits we don't like especially carefully. Because the bits we do like, they just kind of go in line with what we already believe. The bits we don't like challenge us, don't they? They make us think. They make us face up with God's wisdom. I don't know which of the bits of the Bible you found most difficult. Maybe some of those Old Testament stories that seem like a bit of unnecessary genocide. <laughs> or maybe when the New, Te- New Testament teaching on submission cuts against the flow of our culture. Or maybe where the idea that not everyone goes to heaven is somewhat distasteful to us. I don't know which bits of the Bible you find most difficult. I want to ask, challenge you really to do business with those bits of the Bible. Let the Bible ask you questions about how you're behaving rather than you asking the Bible questions. Let the Bible ask you questions. So first, the first, the first uh, thing that we get, the, thing, the, the th- first step that we take to get a value system transplant, to find God's true spiritual wisdom that's being talked about by Paul here, is to just to read the Bible. <laughs> it's very straightforward. Read the Bible. Read the Bible daily. Read the Bible in your communities. Read the Bible with your family. Read the Bible on your own. Read your Bible on Sundays with the rest of the church. However you read the Bible, read the Bible, and particularly the bits that you find challenging. The second uh, Activity that gives us a value system transplant leads us really into the next part of this talk, which is body. And by, I'm using the word body. Body is just another word for church, really. We, the church is described as the body of Christ. Actually, later in this, very, this letter we're looking at, Paul uses this picture of a church as the body. The body speaks of mutual commitment and interconnectedness and mutual submission, to use that word again. There's a there's a connectedness, there's a commitment, there's a closeness of community. And close community shapes us. 
If you just come to church on a Sunday and then go away and do your thing during the week, that doesn't shape you. But coming, it doesn't shape you in the way that being part of a close community does. Joining yourself, being part of family, being part of body. So I use the word body here rather than church, because being part of body challenges us to, to live as interconnected people. I, got, just, I was thinking of a couple of personal examples. I think different things in community that challenge us. The first one of those is personality. We are all different people. We see things differently. I'm going to pick on you, Eileen, again, just because we often tell this story. Eileen and I have known each other for more years than I care to remember now. Um, we're quite different. Any of you that know us both know that Eileen is just great with people. She loves people. Um, she's very pastoral, loving and caring. Have a bit of a challenge as well, but just loving and caring. I'm a bit more goal-focused, just a little bit. And we could have allowed those differences, and probably were at times, to annoy us. But actually, I think we've got to the point where we appreciate that difference. We are different, and it's complementary. It's good for us to be different for each other, and it's good for you that we're different and we're not just all the same. So personality difference. Let personality difference make us better for each other. Let it, let it improve us. Let it give us this values transplant. Second example might be culture. I'm going to say a little bit more about this in a moment. Um, I had the joy of organising an international conference in 2018 in Kenya. And with the, we had a team of us here, Ruth Morton and myself and one or two others, and some Kenyan friends as well organising it. We had certain clashes of culture in organising a conference in another nation. And it's not that we're right and they're wrong, or they're right and we're wrong, we're just different. We go about things in a different way. Culture shapes us. We get a value system transplant. We'll say more about that in a moment. And the third area of difference in close community, in the body of Christ, is generational differences. And Sanjay, who's not, not with, able to be with us today, and I worked, often work together on, on various things. And I remember working with him on a, uh, some leadership training we were doing for a church in India. And uh, we just come at things very differently. And it's not because Sanjay, Sanjay has a sort of Indian heritage. It's because he's a millennial, and I'm not. And we think about things very differently. We might want the same objective, but we come at it very differently. And we could annoy each other, but actually we see that as a strength. We see that as a complementary thing. So I want to encourage us to push into body, to push into church, close community, rather than letting personality or culture or generational differences drive us apart. I want to allow us, appeal to you to allow those differences to to give us a value system transplant, to see people as Christ sees them. So that's the first chunk. Uh, chapter 2, chapter 3. We're going to look now at the second point, working together in unity. And we're going to start where we left off in the beginning of chapter 3. So let's start at verse 4. We just read the first few verses. Verse 4 of chapter 3. Some of you... So he's been talking about uh, wisdom. He's talking about, he said, look, you're not yet wise. I've had to treat you like babies. Some of you say that you follow me. And others claim to follow Apollos. Isn't that how ordinary people behave? Apollos and I are just are merely servants who helped you have faith. It was the Lord who made it all happen. I planted the seeds, Apollos watered them, but God made them sprout and grow. What matters isn't those who planted or watered, but God who made the plants grow. The one who plants is just as important as the one who waters, and each one will be paid for what they do. 
Apollos and I work together for God, and you are God's garden and God's building. Uh, God was kind and let me become an expert builder. I laid a foundation on which others have built, but we must each be careful how we build because Christ is the only foundation. Whatever we build on that foundation will be tested by fire on the day of judgment. Then everyone will find out if we have used gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. We will be rewarded if our building is left standing. But if it is destroyed by the fire, we will lose everything. Yet we ourselves will be saved like someone escaping from flames. All of you know that you are God's temple, and his spirit lives in you. Together you are God's holy temple, and God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple. Don't fool yourselves. If any of you think you are wise in the things of this world, you will have to become foolish before you can become truly wise. There's that wisdom and foolishness thing again. If any of you think you're wise in the things of this world, you will have to become foolish in the eyes of the world before you can become truly wise. This is because God considers the wisdom of this world to be foolish. It is just as the scriptures say, God catches the wise when they try to outsmart him. The scriptures also say the Lord knows that the plans made by wise people are useless. So stop boasting about what anyone has done. Paul and Apollos and Peter all belong to you. In fact, everything is yours, including the world, life, death, the present and the future. Everything belongs to you. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So Paul planted this church, but now he hears about some stuff going wrong. And he's writing, not as a mate... But as a father in the Lord, that, that comes out a little bit as we, in that passage we've just read. Uh, and in the next chunk, we'll look at that in a little bit, little bit more detail. And if we look back in chapter 1 um, to verse 11, we just see a little bit, a bit more context here. Several people from Chloe's family, someone's reported this to Paul, have reported to me that you keep arguing with each other. They say that some of you claim to follow me, others claim to follow Apollos or Peter or Christ. So there's these four actors, if you like, four characters in this, in this challenge. The church is becoming factionalized, divided around these four characters. There's Paul, the guy who's writing this letter that we're reading. He planted the church in Acts 18. He was there for 18 months. That was quite a long time compared to some places Paul stayed he was established as its founder, leader, father. So that's Paul. Apollos. We first met Apollos in Acts 18 as well. He comes to Ephesus. He seems to be a gifted teacher. Uh, he's, Acts 18 tells us he's from Alexandria, which is in Egypt. There was a Jewish community there. But he seems to be this sort of eloquent teacher who was, he was schooled in Jewish teaching, but also in Greek sort of rhetorical approaches and um, he was eloquent. He was eloquent. And we'll say a little bit more in a moment about how Paul saw Apollos. So Apollos was a travelling teacher. Then there's Peter. Peter, we know Peter, don't we? Now he was the guy in the New Testament, Jesus' disciple, one who uh, did various sort of slightly hot-headed and things. But he was an enthusiast, was Peter. He, he loved his Lord. He loved Jesus. And he, Peter would become the the kind of figurehead of the Jewish church, really. He was an influential leader. Whether he'd actually visited, we're not sure. Um, but people sort of said, I follow Peter. It's a bit like perhaps someone saying, I follow Jeremy Corbyn. They might never have met Jeremy Corbyn, but they say, I follow Jeremy. You know, it's that kind of thing. You know, I follow Peter. They may never have met the guy. But, um, and this group, this faction in the church, were probably trying to retain Jewish culture. There was a big debate in the church as it was 
rapidly growing about how much of its Jewish cultural traditional roots needed to be maintained and how much of them were not okay to impose on the non-Jews. So there's Peter. And then there's Messiah people. Um, I, I, I'm not quite sure, we're not quite sure what these people are. I like to think um, we have some of these people around these days. They're kind of me and Jesus people. Like, well, I don't care about all the human leaders. It's, the, it's Jesus that matters. It's, it's all about Jesus. And, um, and they had a bit of a disdain for human leadership, which we'll come to in the next chapter, actually. And Paul's response is, he effectively says, you know, guys, the church is not a popularity contest. <laughs> it's a community of people, and we're all centered around Jesus. Not just the Messiah, people. we're all, it's all about Jesus. And you think, see that thing we just read where Paul was saying, well, I planted and he watered, but Jesus does it all. Jesus is the main man. So we're all centered on Jesus. The leaders are simply servants of Jesus. So while you may prefer one leader's style over another, just get over it. <laughs> my sort of slight interpretation of what Paul said. And he says, don't divide or badmouth each other because of these differences. We're all together around Jesus. We have a common goal of seeing this, this plant growing or this building built. So how does that work? I want to suggest three how-tos about this kind of pushing together, pulling together, working together in unity. Firstly, let's be those that listen and learn. Let's not be those that just get a bit sidetracked with clever words. But, and actually, one of the challenges today is that nuanced debate, subtleties of debate, which help us learn from each other, often gets reduced to a soundbite, doesn't it? And we end up having soundbite wars rather than actually deeply learning from each other. So let's be those that learn deeply. And the question perhaps for you is, are you eager to listen or do you just try and shut down debate? There's a lot on social media which, where debate just gets shut down. Like someone says something, they're trying to, perhaps they didn't put it very carefully or they're trying to think something through, and it's just like a, it's warfare. Let's not be those that subscribe to human wisdom. Let's be those that learn, eager to learn from each other. Now that's one of the reasons we work through a letter like this letter sequentially, because we learn from it. So that takes us back to the Bible. But let's, let's be those that are eager to learn and listen. Secondly, uh, Isaac, thank you. Um, let's be those that learn to welcome other cultures. And one of the things going on in Corinth, I think I've explained this, is that different cultures are starting to get thrown together. And instinctively, all of us, whether we're white British or whatever you are, we want to hold on to certain aspects of our cultural heritage. It's, that's okay. It's not wrong. But it is, it is wrong when we start to impose those things on other people or we, we make them non-negotiables. Uh, I, I, an example, I, I, I've told this story before, but pe- people, when they come to Oxford, they often say, so, this, this invitation to come around to someone's house for tea, what does that mean? Does it mean a cup of tea and then go again? Or does it mean a cup of tea and stay for a big meal that will be surprised on you? Or does it mean... What does it mean? It's just confusing. So simple little things. The, the basics of hospitality, which are the basics of us becoming friends across cultures, are actually quite challenging. And uh, uh, it's, it's difficult to, to do this. So let's, let's be 
um, let's be those that reach out. Let's welcome other cultures. That's difficult. It's a bit awkward at times. You have to just go through a few awkward things. We're just in the middle. Sanjay and I are facilitating a conversation with some of the people in this church, in this room from black and minority backgrounds. We're having a conversation about how we do church and some of the things we do on Sundays and how we, how we pray and how we worship and how we eat and how we preach. Those things, it's important that we learn from each other in those ways. We want to welcome other cultures. So my question for you as individuals is, who are you learning from that's outside of your cultural bubble? Who are you connecting with and learning from and being challenged by? And it's going to be a bit awkward. Who are you feeling awkward because you're learning and behaving differently outside of your cultural bubble? And the last thing this, this passage draws out to us is something about team, valuing team. Paul says, you know, we're just all different parts of the team. We sometimes think of Paul and Apollos perhaps as competitors, because that's perhaps how the Corinthians saw them. But if we go on to uh, Acts, if we, look, if we were to look at Acts 18, we'd, saw that, we'd see that um, Apollos was recommended to the Corinthian church, and that Paul here says, Apollos, you know, Paul says, Apollos watered, I'd planted it. And Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul urges Apollos to go again and go back to Corinth. So they're not enemies, they're co-workers, they're team members. They might have different styles, but they're team members. They're what we might call apostolic team. It's, it's, we see the team, apostolic teams moving around the, 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 the early church there. And some of you who have been around for a while will remember this picture we used. Isaac, I can't click again. Um, this, this picture we used about a year ago. We were looking through Ephesians. We came to Ephesians 4. Use this picture. And this is, the circle is the church. The church is often led by a shepherd, or just another word for pastor, and, and teachers often. The, the, the pastor-teacher, the shepherd-teacher model of church is, is really, really common. Certainly in the West, that's how we see church. And we, we understand those two gifts. There's other gifts. There's the apostle, um, who's, I think Paul was an apostle. He wanted to hear a I just had an eagerness to keep going and get on with things and move and keep, keep following the Lord into the adventure. And there's evangelists who love to bring people into the church. And there's prophets who are saying, what's God saying? They, they have given us a Godward focus. I haven't got time to unpack that completely, but that's an illustration we used to talk about apostolic team. I think these four characters were different members of that. I think I suspect Paul, well, we know Paul was an apostle, but the New Testament calls him that. He had that kind of, come on, let's get on with it. I'm going to Rome. I'm going. I'm, you know, he had that impetus to keep moving. Um, maybe Apollos was a teacher, you know, someone who thought carefully about his words and spoke in kind of carefully thought through, kind of eloquent kind of ways. Teachers are often like that. Um, Maybe the, the people who liked the Messiah were prophets. Because prophets are often go, it's all about Jesus and what he wants. And I don't know about the rest of you, but it's all about Jesus and what he wants. And that's not a bad plumb line for us to have in the church. Um, maybe, I don't know what Peter was. Maybe Peter was a shepherd. Peter seemed to carry the pastoral concerns of the Jewish community. And in that sense, maybe he was a bit more of a shepherd. I don't know. There's different, the point is I'm trying to make is these people in the church in Corinth were different gifts and they were trying to work together as a team but the church was going, oh I prefer that one oh I don't like that one, oh that's my favourite that's not healthy church and I want, my question for you out of this passage is do you appreciate the diversity of team say in our church or in your community or in other contexts that you, maybe your, your community group, 
There's differences. Do you appreciate that diversity? Or do you find it annoying? Let's allow ourselves to appreciate that difference. We're supposed to be different. If, we're all, if, we, if our church leadership team were all sort of clones of Steve Jones, it wouldn't be very healthy just because we're all the same. Nothing wrong with Steve Jones. It's just that we all need, to, we need diversity. The church in Antioch in Acts 13 had a really diverse multicultural team. That, I believe, is a great example for us. So we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to have different gifts, different personalities, different... Uh, focuses in leadership so do we value team so what did i back to that there we go so listen and learn from each other are we are we those that listen are we willing to listen in particular to other cultures and do we value team those are the questions that for me come out of that passage i was going to do a little thing on this fire thing you know the works by fire we'll come back to that in a few weeks we're going to look at one, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15 in a few weeks. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to skip that for the moment. Um, Right. Um, So, let's read chapter... um, Let's read chapter... We're going to read a little bit of chapter 3 again, just to get us back into the zone, then we're going to read chapter 4. So, chapter 3, verse 5. Apollos and I are merely servants who helps you have faith. It was the Lord who made it all happen. I planted the seeds, Apollos watered them, but God made them sprout and grow. Just reminding you where, where we're at in chapter 3, Paul's saying, look, we're all part of a team, we're all playing our part. So let's come on to chapter 4. Think of us as servants of Christ who have been given the work of explaining God's mysterious ways. Since our first duty is to be faithful to the one we work for, God, it doesn't matter to me if I'm judged by you or even by a court of law. In fact, don't, I don't even judge myself. I don't know of anything against me, but that doesn't prove I am right. The Lord is my judge, so don't judge anyone until the Lord returns. He will show what is hidden in the dark and what is in everyone's heart. Then God will be the one who praises each of us. Friends, I've used Apollos and myself as examples to teach you the meaning of the saying, follow the rules. I want you to stop saying that one of us is better than the other. I want you to stop saying that one of us is better than the other. What is so special about you? What do you have that you were not given? And if it was given to you, how can you boast? Are you already satisfied? Are you now rich? Have you become kings while we are still nobodies? I wish you were kings, then we could have a share in your kingdom, he says slightly sarcastically. Um, It seems to me that God has put us apostles in the worst possible place. We are like prisoners on their way to death. Angels and the people of this world just laugh at us. Because of Christ... We are thought of as fools. Uh, We're thought of as fools, but Christ has made you wise. We are weak and hated, but you are powerful and respected. Even today, we go hungry and thirsty and don't have anything to wear except rags. We are ill-treated and don't have a place to live. We work hard with our hands, and when people abuse us, we wish them well. When we suffer, we are patient. When someone curses us, we answer with kind words. Until now, we are thought of as nothing more than the trash and rubbish of this world. I'm not writing to embarrass you. I want to help you just as parents help their own dear children. 10,000 people may teach you about Christ, but I am your only father. You became my children when I told you about Christ Jesus, and I want you to be like me. That's why I sent Timothy to you. I love him like a son, and he's a faithful servant of the Lord. Timothy will tell you what I do 
to follow Christ and how it agrees with what I teach about Christ in every church. Some of you think I'm not coming for a visit and so are boasting. But if the Lord lets me come, I will be there soon. Then I will find out if the ones who are doing all this boasting really have any power. God's kingdom isn't just a lot of words. It is power. What do you want me to do when I arrive? Do you want me to be hard on you or kind and gentle? It's a long, you know, long passage, but really Paul's making this point. His, his ability to challenge them has been compromised because they're challenging his right to lead them. And he's making a long appeal as a father in the Lord and saying, saying um, look, I planted this church. I'm your father. You know, I'm, I'm coming. He's making an appeal as a father to come to them. And there's quite a lot of resonance here today. We, the wisdom of this world is asking a lot of questions about leadership today. The wisdom of this world asks questions about the rights of, their pa- of a parent to lead a child. How should parents be leaders to their children? That's a question that people are, are challenging. When you go see the doctor, um, who's the expert, the doctor or Google? <laughs> You know, we go to the doctor, and the doctor feels somewhat, oh my goodness, they, they've, been, they've already got five opinions before they even come and see me. In the classroom, who's, who determines the agenda? Our, our current particular challenge at home is, who's the leader with this? Ah, <laughs> oh, it's definitely not me, it's Ruth. Uh, it's Ruth's dog. Um, uh, there's all this kind of, we're reading all this dog psychology at the moment about, about how you sort of assert your dominance as the alpha. And all the, anyway, all this kind of stuff. I'm not quite sure whether it's gobbledygook, but that's our current challenge. Who's the leader in our, in our home on, in this regard? But the world asks questions about leadership. And in the church, we're not immune from this. And this is what's coming out in this very passage. We, are, we have all kinds of ideas about leadership. Many of you and the church, this church is becoming increasingly diverse because we're all coming from different cultural backgrounds increasingly, different church backgrounds. And that's a rich thing. It's a great thing. But it means we come with us, we bring with us different ideas about leadership in the church. Do we have an idea? This is a picture of an Orthodox priest. Do we have an idea of the church leader somehow as a holy man, a holy person, someone devoted to God in a slightly mystical way? Or do we see the, the leader as a preacher first and foremost, someone who points us to God's word, or maybe even a celebrity preacher, that we, just, we love their sound bites? Or is, is the leader a caregiver, first and foremost? Or someone who's a community facilitator or activist? This is a picture of someone in a sort of community activist meeting. Um, or do we see our leaders as people who are primarily evangelists, missional leaders? Um, and all of those are part of the task of leadership in the church. Absolutely. But the Bible also says... There's, here's some phrases the Bible uses of church leaders. It says, watch over the flock, guard the doctrine, care for people, challenge behavior, teach and disciple, deal with problems, set an example. So there's, there's, a, there's a richer picture, and I, I want to encourage us there's a better picture. And we, some of you will remember when I spoke in October, I used this picture of leadership. I think this is a great picture of leadership. It's not like those other things. This is a picture of a parent teaching their child to do something. I think this is, this is our understanding of leadership. Leadership is that we are 
um, helping. We're, dis- we're called to equip God's people, like spiritual parents, to, to be all that they can be. The, the des- desire of this father here is for his kid to learn to paint the wall and do a good job. The, the dad's not going to want to do it forever. Spiritual parents are the best picture we can see of church leadership. And I'm saying that because that's exactly what Paul's saying in this passage. If we just look at verse, chapter 4 again, verse 14. I'm not writing to embarrass you. I want to help you just as parents help their own dear children. 10,000 people may teach you about Christ, but I am your only father. Paul's making exactly this point that he planted the church. He is appealing to them to, to receive him again as a spiritual father. He's coming as a father to challenge and nurture. He's trying to call them up to certain standards of behavior, to certain living in line with the gospel. And we'll, we'll look, be looking more at this in the, in the coming weeks. In today's language, Paul might say to us in chapter 4, he might say, don't just crowdsource information. Don't just, don't just go and have a look on Google. Don't just ask your mates for what they think. Don't look for consensus. Let me be your father. That's what Paul might say into, into our context. And I want to suggest to you that, if we, that part, of, part of our task as a church, part of what brings unity, we're looking at unity, part of what brings unity in a church is each of us allowing, choosing to allow in uh, those uh, as spiritual parents, maybe it's, you know, some of us understand the, the personal pastoring thing we do where we connect people with a mentor, that, that kind of idea, or maybe it's other mature Christians in the church, but allowing people to speak into your life, to shape you as spiritual parents is a really tremendous thing. And that's my question, really, as we look at this section. Who is speaking into your life as a parent leader, not just as a friend and peer? Are you welcoming and listening to their counsel? That's what Paul's talking about here, welcoming the counsel of spiritual fathers, spiritual parents. That is God's wisdom for us. So we've looked at these uh, these two and a half chapters, we've looked at the flow of the argument that, there's, that real spiritual wisdom enables us to be unified and, and, and to receive leadership that builds up God's family. And I, would, I just want to draw out again, the, I, th- I think I've asked you six questions as we've gone. I'm going to tease, just put these up again and just say to you, what's God saying to you this morning? Is God saying read the Bible? Is God saying be part of a body, this body perhaps? Don't just come on Sundays, but be part of the body. Is God saying, listen well? Are you someone perhaps that doesn't listen very well? God's saying, learn to listen. Is God saying, learn from other cultures? Is God saying to you, value team, value the difference we have in team? Or is God saying to you, receive a spiritual parent into your life? What is God saying to you, I wonder?